0: I think a good way to start um, is to, to start with what do members need and this idea of starting by identifying the t- top 10 member needs. And, um, and the association staff stopped us and they said, when you fine tune this presentation and present it to our CEO, definitely mention that because he will be very enthralled with this idea of starting with what do members need um either from member surveys by looking at, at the, the conference session attendee attendance which were the most popular sessions of the conference uh, any listservs online communities what are the hot topics what things keep coming up and getting the most traffic or the most questions um you know another strategy i've heard is is to uh go around and ask association staff the week after the association's budget is approved what each department asked for that was not included in the budget because there wasn't enough money and then to think oh is this this is an unmet member need the staff person thought we really need these webinars on these topics we really need this research study but there's not enough money for it uh to of course ask the association board members what are the, the top issues facing members um Or even to create an advisory council of the corporate partners and ask them, what are you hearing from your vantage point? We recognize these companies are selling a product or service, but they're also doing that to meet a member need. So what do members need help with? What do uh, their customers uh, need support in uh, that the companies are developing? And to take all that information and consolidate it into, you know, what are the top eight or 10 things that members need? And then find companies that have that expertise. (laughs)
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Gripe podcast. In this podcast you learn how to grow member-based organizations. I'm your host Farhad Khan, I'm the CEO of Gripe Digital. We build membership websites for professional associations. We have an app called Member Lounge and Member Lounge is one of the quickest ways for you to build an engaging member community for your membership. Member Lounge takes your member marketing on autopilot so that member engagement just happens without you having to work hard for it. You can see a demo of Member Lounge on our website at memberlounge.app. Again, that is memberlounge all one word.app. This is a live recording of our podcast episode. If you're joining us live today, welcome. We got some amazing questions from the audience already, which we will go through. But if you have any more questions during the episode, please submit them on Zoom. Today we are excited to have Bruce Rosenthal with us. Bruce is a strategic advisor on corporate partnerships, and he has helped many, many associations. So if you're wondering how to create corporate partnerships that are effective and how to design sponsorship packages that are enticing and irresistible, then this is the episode for you. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and your work?
0: Sure, thanks. Um, I am Bruce Rosenthal. I work with associations to design sponsorship programs to increase revenue and member value. And I really got started on this journey um, back in about 2008, 2009, when I worked with a large association that had completely revamped its its corporate partnership program. And the CEO asked me if I would become the new VP for corporate partnerships to to manage that program. And one reason he came to me is is I had a role in the association um, as director of media relations. So I worked with all the different teams on staff. So he said, Bruce, you know, the membership team and the conference team and the research team, because he said, we are going to create a partnership program here that um, is less transactional and more transformational and really works with companies. Um, So we need you as as the head of that program to work with all the different departments. So that's why I was excited to do this session on, on boosting member engagement with sponsorships because there is a connection with sponsorships in all departments, especially the membership department in associations.
1: So Bruce, like what do you think we are doing wrong right now? Like I know every, every association who holds an event and they have like sponsorship packages, right? Like all association has sponsors to like in some level, you know, like what is not working well?
0: I think the big challenge is, is that historically sponsorships have been conference based and and we're really not we're no longer selling what companies are looking for. And companies are generally, from the research I've done and and hundreds of of sponsors that I've interviewed over the years for a lot of associations, companies are looking for business development opportunities, of course, but they're also looking for some sort of branding, not exclusivity, but brand elbow room, brand recognition, um, and mostly thought leadership. And the three of those tie closely together. Um, And and you'll notice in that list of three, business development, um, branding, and thought leadership, that I didn't include visibility. And not that no companies don't want any visibility, but when I look at prospectuses for um, associations for their conferences and, and their sponsorships, it's it's visibility, recognition, logo placements, signage, um wave from the podium at the conference. And I, I'm talking to more and more companies that are saying, you know, if we want visibility, we'll get a bigger booth and an ad. We don't need to to spend tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars on a sponsorship. So I think bottom line, we're selling things that are too transactional, too much in pieces, too much focused on the conference. Um, And one reason we're doing that, we don't know what companies are looking for. So one of the questions I often ask companies is, is, uh, is the association that you are sponsoring, are they aware of your company's business needs? And I've talked to companies spending as much as $300,000 on a sponsorship and scale this up or down, depending on the size of your association. Everything we talk about today, really is is regardless of association size. So companies that are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a sponsorship, and I'll say, do you know, does the association understand your business goals? And the company will say, well, how would they know our business goals? They've never asked. And we've been a sponsor for five years. So we need to to more focus on on what the the companies actually need that is still in alignment with what members need. Um, and we need to also make sure that the, the full staff and the board are really all rowing in the same direction. So it is about engaging everybody on staff um, from, from the senior staff to, to the, the receptionist who may greet a sponsor uh, when they come and visit the office. Um, and I think because we're, we're not hitting that mark, we're selling the wrong things, it's too transactional. Uh, the result is we're leaving money on the table. And and that's money that could be used to, to fund more member services and, and other association benefits. So, um, so too transactional and, and not engaging in, enough with the sponsors and leaving money on the table.
1: So, how do we make it more engaging? You
0: know, I think the first thing you know we, we often talk about. Well, how can we revamp the prospectus or or uh, you know what do companies want? And and that. Can get down a slippery slope because then the company might say, Well, I want an email list of all the members, and then and we're in a position of having to say, Well, I don't think that'll work. So, you know, let's look at something else. I think a good way to start um is to to start with what do members need. And uh I, I'm working with a, an association client now, and we were presenting the findings to their their staff about a new corporate partner program. And and we we mentioned this idea of starting by identifying the t- Top 10 member needs. And um and the association staff stopped us and they said, when you fine-tune this presentation and present it to our CEO, definitely mention that because he will be very enthralled with this idea of starting with what do members need, um, either from member surveys by looking at at the, the conference session attendee attendance, which were the most popular sessions of the conference. Uh, any listservs, online communities, what are the hot topics, what things keep coming up and getting the most traffic or the most questions. Um, you know, Another strategy I've heard is, is to uh, go around and ask association staff the week after the association's budget is approved what each department asked for that was not included in the budget because there wasn't enough money. And then to think, oh, is this this is an unmet member need. The staff person thought we really need these webinars on these topics. We really need this research study, but there's not enough money for it. Uh, To, of course, ask the association board members, what are the the top issues facing members? Um, Or even to create an advisory council of the corporate partners and ask them, what are you hearing from your vantage point? We recognize these companies are selling a product or service but they're also doing that to meet a member need. So what do members need help with? What do uh, their customers uh, need support in uh, that the companies are developing and to take all that information and consolidate it into, you know what are the top eight or 10 things that members need and then find companies that have that expertise and companies really like it when, um, and I think a couple of the questions that folks submitted uh, when they registered were, well, how do I get companies to return my phone calls? And, and when, when I've heard that question that at some of the trainings that I've done, I'll say, well, tell me about what happens when you call a company. And they'll say, well, we call the company or we send an email and we say our conference is coming up in three months and we have gold, silver, bronze sponsorships. Please call me back. And I'll say, that's why they're not calling you back, because that's not what they're looking for. But I said, if you were to do this research on member needs and then identify a company with that expertise, or for example... Picking a topic, determining uh, members need information on, on uh, better leadership skills to advance their companies. So, if you find a company in your space, you know an accounting firm or whoever that has that expertise, or maybe they have a corporate program around leadership. And to call them or leave the voicemail, we have done a study of our members. One of their top needs is leadership development. I understand from your company's website you have some expertise in this area. Please call me. Those calls get returned. Now, it's still a process to get them engaged as a corporate partner, but that's one way to get calls returned. And again, to keep it member focused, because we're not asking the company, what do you want? And then they list something that's expensive or not feasible. We're starting with what do members need and finding companies that can fulfill that need.
1: So I want to unpack that a little. So we go to members first and understand like, what are the member needs? Like, what are the unmet like needs that members have? So create a list of that member needs. And then you also mentioned that in the last budget cycle, um, if we can like, uh, so after the last budget cycle, if we go around the departments and see like, what were the unmet needs of the Different departments, right? And then, so then we then we have a list of the member needs, and then we have the list of things that the different departments need, and then we try to find like if we can kind of like provide any of those needs through our partners. Is that right? Exactly.
0: And actually, and the companies in many cases are glad to do some of the work. And I I used to work with an association, and there was a company that wanted to do a major research study on the the largest two hundred members of the association. And the, associate, and the company was willing to do most of the research. So they developed a survey, of course, reviewed and vetted by the association staff, but developed a survey instrument, sent out the survey, responded to any questions from members about the survey, followed up when members didn't submit the survey results on time. And then the company took all, took all that data and compiled it, and again, reviewed by the association, and then it was it was released as a co-branded report with the association and quoted throughout the year because members would often say, "Oh, in the report, here's where our com- our company ranked." It was almost like one of those college guides. And 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 I observed at one point that because the company did all the research, they really had three choices. The company could have kept all that information proprietary to their company, and they would have been the smartest company in that space. They would have known more about those large member companies than any of their competitors would have given them a real advantage. The company could have also chosen just to publish the survey findings under their own corporate name, But what they decided to do, and this was a $160,000 year-long partnership with the association, as part of that partnership, they co-branded it with the association. So when you opened up the report, the the left side of the the inside cover was the association CEO and then his or her picture with a quote about the value of the study. And the right-hand side was the corporate partner CEO with a a quote about the value of the research. That's why the company was a top-level corporate partner. And then this is, I think, the 15th year they've been publishing that report. So so again, interesting, the company did most of the work, the association and its members benefited from having those research findings. Um and the company benefited from the brand affinity uh, with the association. So it was a real win for the members, of the association as well as the corporate partner. Yeah,
1: and I guess like many um corporations like Benny will actually be happy to get access to the members in general just to learn more and to do like their own research. So they're that that person they can they can improve their services, their products. That's one area for sure. But then also we want to produce content like, uh, content like that are like more like thought leadership right so and we can create it ourselves but if you can like uh, co-create co-promote similar to what we are doing here in this episode you know like so Bruce you and I co-promoted this right and then like as a result like what's going to happen is that like this is going to like reach a bigger network your network and our network together so together it's a win-win for all. So then if we can do that, then why not, right? Right.
0: Well, and I think it, it, that also leads to the, the the question or the issue around competition. And there are far more opportunities for companies to go out there on their own. So part of what, what my colleagues and I do when we interview corporate partners on behalf of association clients is to ask the companies. And these are confidential one-on-one interviews with corporate partners. So we tell them you can share whatever, and we will only share that information with, with the association in the aggregate. But we'll ask companies, where are you finding value? Where are your uh, business goals and and marketing needs being fulfilled? And the companies start listing other associations and uh, for-profit podcasts and webinars and for-profit expos and conferences and social media outreach. And in some of the recent reports that we've done for clients, those lists of competitors are 35 to 40 different entities. That's how many choices companies have. And what a lot of these companies did, you know, as you mentioned earlier, that a lot of sponsorships have been focused on conferences. And and I think some companies weren't too enamored with that going back 10 or 12 years, but they didn't want to drop their conference sponsorship because, you know, they had a couple board members who were clients and they didn't want anybody to get irritated but when, when associations, who no fault of their own, had to cancel those conferences for two or three years during the pandemic, I think some of those companies took that as their opportunity to step slowly out the door say, OK, here's our ticket out of here. There's no conference, so we can't be a conference sponsor. And those companies couldn't stop marketing and doing outreach for two years. So they created their own avenues. So they either found other platforms um, Someone mentioned to me recently a, a company that's creating its own community. And, you know, when you mentioned online community before with associations, very important for associations to create those communities because the companies are creating communities. And this was a company that was creating a community of the association's members and prospective members, 10,000 of them. So then when we were talking to the company about value of sponsorship, the company said, we have a network, we've already got them on the list. And you know, before Zoom was so popular and before social media was so popular, when I was managing um, the sponsorship program at an association before I started consulting and, and companies would come to us and they say, well, we'd, we'd like to present a, a webinar to some of your members or a session. And we'd say, well, if you wanna have access to our members and you wanna teach our members, it's gotta be through us. So we have the list we have the webinar schedule, we have the conference session, you can do it through us. And because of social media and the ability to to put together online communities, and because now that everybody is very accustomed to logging into Zoom, these companies can go out there and reach and teach without the association. Now, I think it's always important to add on to that, that In many cases, companies would prefer the brand affinity of doing that reaching and teaching with the association. But if the association says, oh, sorry, the next open slot we have for webinars is in six months. Oh, and you can't have a list of the attendees because we have a rule against that. Um, Can we put down the calendar in six months? And the company will say, I don't think so. I can do that on my own. Um, Now, there can be other win-wins to to benefit members. I was on a call a couple of years ago with an association and and one of their corporate partners in the association was saying kind of proudly, we get 150 to 200 people on our association webinars. Maybe your company as a sponsor could be on one of our webinars as a faculty person. And the company said, well, that's interesting. We get 1,500 to 2,000 people at our corporate webinars, educational webinars, not sales pitches or product demos. But it was interesting at at first I thought, uh oh, is this going in the wrong direction? But then the company said, again, in the search for the value proposition and the win-win, the company said, What we often lack on our webinars is independent thought leadership. These are educational webinars. So maybe somebody on your association's board or committee chair or staff could be on one of our corporate webinars. And then I'm thinking, so now the association can reach an audience of 1,500 to 2,000 members and prospective members what's the company doing most of the work on the registration and, and the, the webinar platform and all that. So that turned out to be the win-win um, when we really had a a discussion with the company about their needs, the association needs, and looked at how, how everybody's goals could be achieved.
1: Wow. Wow. Bruce, I think that is mind blowing because the association in this case is reaching out to the corporate partners network, not the other way around. This is mind blowing. Yes.
0: Because very often again, you know, when when we wait for the companies to come to us, it is often with um with an ask that that's that's not going to work as well. And, and I think the the company, the associations have a huge amount of brand value they they have a network, they have segments of their, their constituency, they have a whole range of communications channels. And if you really substitute the word marketing agency for the word association, it's the same thing. So if a company were to go to a marketing agency and say, we'd like to reach, you know, widget manufacturers who are, you know, CEOs of their companies of this company size in this region of the country, a marketing agency would find those folks. And then it's like, oh, well, so how do you want to reach them? Do you want to do a podcast? Or do you want to do a webinar? Or do you want to create an online community? And a marketing agency could do all that. Well, so could an association. Um, so I think that also leads to, to one other big opportunity for associations and, and why This um, The the important role of the membership department and and the membership folks is the ability to segment the membership based on demographics, title, uh, gender, uh, type of business, size of business, whatever. Because I've talked to more and more companies who no longer want to reach or don't necessarily see an equation between a high sponsorship fee and a large number of people. Um, and, and when I worked at an association, uh, and this was about 10 years ago, and we had our big annual convention, again, scale this up or down based on the size of your association. But this was about 9,000 people, 4,000 members, You know, flooded the city for four days, packed exhibit hall, big success. Company comes to me the last day, one of our year-long corporate partners, and they said, we're dropping our partnership. And I said, what happened? I mentioned all the numbers. He said, Bruce, based on what we're selling. We understand you had 4,000 members in the exhibit hall for three or four days. Based on what we're selling, we need to reach 400 of your members. We couldn't find the 400 in the 4,000. So then we, you know, if we start to think like a marketing agency, how can we segment the market? How can we do, how can we take one of those companies' educational white papers and send it to those 400 members? And if we don't want to Give the email list to the company, that's fine. The the email can come from the association saying, we're pleased to be partnering with this company. They have this this, uh, white paper that they put together that is just perfect for you as a member. Member value achieves the company's goal. They're reaching a target market. We're also avoiding this challenge of flooding thousands of members with information that doesn't apply to them because we're sending targeted information to a targeted list. And I was talking to a company a few weeks ago, and they said, we would pay a higher sponsorship fee to reach fewer members if they were the right members. But, but to come to us and say, well, if we want to sponsor a focus group, it's going to be $5,000. If we want to sponsor the general session, it's $50,000. It's like, that doesn't make sense to some companies. They would rather talk to 30 people in a focus group address 10,000 people from the stage in the general session.
1: So I think like um, in general associations wouldn't segment their members in that way. Like typically it'll be like by experience or like you know which membership tier they are not by uh, psychographics right. So what does the member need? So you're saying we should do more psychographic like uh, segmentation in general so we can kind of like present the right audience to our sponsors.
0: I think it's both, and if we don't necessarily segment them in the database based on what they need, we can segment it based on who they are, because some sponsor companies want to reach member companies of a certain size or region of the country, um, or how long they've been in business, Um, or many associations represent, I used to work for an association in the aging services space. Well, that included nursing homes, assisted living, retirement communities, home health, senior transportation, local volunteer organizations for the aging. Well, some companies don't need to reach those five or six different segments. They need to reach one of them. So for whatever information we have in the database or the membership department has in the database to be able to, and again, since we're not waiting for the companies to come to us, we're going back to the company. So if we're having this exploratory call with the company and the company says, well, we, we really wanna reach nursing homes that have 200 or more beds that are in the New England region. Then we say well thank you for that information and we go back to our staff and we say can we identify that segment of members and if the membership staff says sure we have got that in the database that would be a group of you know 180 members so then we can go back to the company and say we understand you want to reach the segment we have this in our database 180 folks let's talk about do we want to do webinars for them or do you want to do focus groups with them or should we send a white paper to them and that's where the companies are like Great. We understand your association has 6,000 members, but these are the 180 that we want to reach.
1: Right. Right. So um, we got a question. I don't know from who it is, but the question is that like, um, how do you do this? So this segmentation and then like um, bringing like mutual value, like uh, how do you do this for an organization who is more than halfway to the point? So they already have a group of potential sponsors, uh, but the money is the problem. Like their sponsorship opportunities are almost ready to pay, but you know, it's not complete. So if you're halfway, right, so you have some packages out already, you've reached out to a few people, you know, how do you take the ideas right now for your next event?
0: Um, so I think I missed part of that. So it's so they, they've got some sponsors or they, they need more sponsors.
1: Yeah. So they already have some sponsorship packages out you know like for an event or something so they're like already like more than halfway into the game so now that they now that we are learning this new information right how do we take this scene and how do we apply
0: i say good question no that is that uh it is we can't just turn off one program and start another program so one one thought would be uh you know if the idea were you know the events coming up in 3 to 6 months we've already sold some sponsorships to that we're ready to launch a sponsorship with year long partnerships is we maybe go to some of those companies that have bought the um, conference sponsorships and say, we understand you've already spent this much, we're offering a year long, we will credit you what you've spent for the conference and can we convert that to a year long? Then some of those companies might say, well, no, I can't make a decision now, this is May, our budget cycles decision making starts in October, I can't make a decision till October. And then we say, well, that's fine, can we put you first on the list? We'll talk to you in October about a year long program. so I think it's it's individual for each company, but um, yeah, we do need to uh, kind of grandfather in companies that are part of the program. But at some point in a year, year and a half, it's going to be we're just doing the new program. We're not, you know, we be doing the pieces, because the other challenge with selling individual pieces, whether it's a webinar or a conference sponsorship, is that it, it runs the risk of ambushing the year long folks. So again, again, scaling up, scaling down. Whatever the dollar figure is, if we have a fifty thousand dollar year-long corporate partner, and one of their benefits is to be able to do two webinars, and then they see on the website or a prospectus that oh, a company can buy a webinar for three thousand dollars, that fifty thousand dollar sponsor is going to say, well, wait. A minute. Even though they're getting kind of the the thought, the, the benefit of the the association's expertise and everything year-long, the company still might say, well, why am I paying fifty if someone else can come in here and just pay three? So um, at some point, the association would want to segue into you know primarily year long partnerships with some exclusive benefits that would not be sold a la carte in pieces.
1: So uh, I'll jump into a question right now quickly from Kirk Lawson. So Kirk is asking, how do I get started when my group has really not had a sponsorship program so far? So like very early stages, you know, like how do I get started?
0: Well, the good news is I have often found it easier to start a new sponsorship program than to, to uh, revamp an existing one. And partly for the reason we just discussed, if you've already got companies paying a certain amount for certain things coming up in the next six months. Um, but also I think companies are into a certain paradigm, this is the way it is, or they're always used to getting a certain number of things um, a certain way. So I think just starting from scratch, and and I think the first step really would be to think about, uh, you know back to what are the top six or eight or 10 things that members need. And then to really think about the company's um, capabilities um, as, as as sponsorship benefits or assets. You know, what is our database? Can it be segmented? How many different communications channels do we have? And and thinking year long, not just during the conference, but um, and what sorts of things could we do at the conference? Could we do focus groups at the conference, or could we offer focus groups at different times during the year? Uh, could we create kind of a corporate advisory council of, of board members and some, some corporate folks to, to work together on some issues? Um, again, not none of this is a sales pitch from the company. So the companies need to understand uh, something that I learned from an association education director a number of years ago. It's, it's this idea of educating to sell, not selling to educate. So the companies that are year-long corporate partners should understand we really need to come in here and educate. Um, and not to sell. If they want to sell, there are opportunities. They can get a bigger booth, or they can buy a banner ad, Um, but if they they really want to educate members, so again, back to what we're talking about today, member engagement and corporate sponsors, to really position those companies to educate members, so they are positioned as thought leaders, and that will lead to sales. So, um, yeah. So to start a program, I think it's identifying what do members need, identifying what different capabilities does the association have, and then starting to call a few companies, and you know, identifying a few companies that um, you know either have been exhibitors or advertisers or a company that board members know. And one exercise I did once with board members, we went around the table and said. Uh, what are the biggest purchases that your company makes during the year? Look at the purchase orders. Who are you writing the biggest checks to? And they said, Oh, you know, we determined three of them were buying services from the same accounting firm or uh, the same office products firm, whatever it was. And then we could call those companies and say, Well, you're you're a big player with our members, um, and it looks like you know you have this program that aligns with what our members need. Can we talk? And then it's um, you know a few more details beyond that of pricing it and packaging it and all that but but having these exploratory calls companies really like it when associations call them and ask questions about their business and um, it's um, it's and it, if nothing else it's a differentiator because most associations are still calling saying our conference is coming up we have gold silver bronze sponsorships. Or our board meeting is coming up and we're looking for somebody to spend $2,000 to pay for the board dinner. And we'll put a sign outside with your company name on it, you know, back to the signage visibility recognition that companies don't place too much value on. So to actually call companies and have a conversation, and it's partly just the human nature thing that we've all heard about, you know, if you go to the cocktail reception and ask somebody a a question and they, they, they talk for 10 minutes and they'll say, you're the good conversationalist because you asked them one or two questions. So um, companies are usually glad to share and and that gives the association all this information that they can then think about for a couple of days, talk to uh, their colleagues on staff and then go back to the company and they say, we we understand, you said, here are your top three goals and challenges. And we believe we have some answers to that. Here's how you can reach this audience. Uh, We understand your company's name is such and such and nobody knows that you do these other things. Let's position and again, not from the sales standpoint, but you have expertise in in something that's a new product or service. Let's put out some some white papers or webinars, um, and and that helps with the member engagement because then we're we're giving members a reason to to join and to renew because you're getting getting good information.
1: So, uh, speaking from personal experience, so. Like we are sponsors typically at association events, right? Because we have an app that that we want to kind of like uh, highlight, like in front of people, in front of associations. Now, uh, so if I am going to sponsor an an event, right? So I want a few things. For example, like I want to be exclusive, number one. Yeah. So I want to like be highlighted at the event, and then also I want to make sure that I speak to the right people, right? And then also I want to be a thought leader. So, like in a in a typical event, I guess like where the structure is pretty much the same. You have like uh, maybe some breakout rooms, you have some like uh, keynote speakers, and you have a trade show booth. So, how do you create exclusivity and all that? Like, uh, like I would want as a sponsor, you know, like how uh, like how how can a, can a situation give me all of that?
0: Well, I you may not like part of this answer. I usually do not. Uh, I'm not a big advocate of exclusivity because I think that one of the challenges is. Because of the way companies in, in, in a lot of spaces are branching out into other sorts of products and services and technologies, it's at times very difficult to identify or to limit the number of competitors because there tends to be a lot of overlap in what companies do. Um, and I think one way around that, just to focus on the exclusivity part of it, is that it's possible to, after having these exploratory discussions with companies, two companies might sell exactly the same thing and have a different focus. One is focusing on a new brand or another is moving into a new region of the country or one of them wants to focus on one product and one another. Um, But when when I had worked in an association and yes, some companies said, well, we don't want any of our competitors. So like, who are your competitors? And they gave me this list of 35 companies. And so back to member service, member engagement, I didn't think that was good for the members to, to basically block all those 35 or so companies from participating. So I think there are different ways different companies can be featured. But I think it's also looking for you know creative ways at the conference venue. And let's talk about the conference venue to start with. So for example, in the early days of social media, back 10 or 12 years ago, we had a marketing company, it was one of our, our top corporate partners, and we wanted to... F- feature them for their thought leadership, but not just how to design a website or a brochure or whatever. Um, so we also were hearing from members, back to members' needs. Members were interested at that point. Again, thinking back 10, 12 years ago, how do I use social media? How do I use LinkedIn for my business? So we worked with that top year-long corporate partner to, to create a social media lab in the middle of the expo. So the association invested something in that. So we, we bought some computers and screen or rented some computers and screens and all that. And we publicized it. And we said to members, if you'd like to create a LinkedIn profile for your business, come to the social media lab. And it was staffed by employees of that corporate partner company. And so they, again, they were not selling anything, but they would say to the member, here's how you set up, and here's how you tag, and here's how you put your your photo and everything in your LinkedIn profile, and here are the five tips for the things to put in your LinkedIn profile, and and by the way, here's my business card if you have any questions, call me. So it really hit all three of those things. It positioned the company with some sort of exclusivity, because even though there were 15 other marketing firms in the exhibit hall, they were the only ones as a year-long corporate partner that had the social media lab had a position of as a thought leader because they were sharing their expertise, not just what products and services they sold. And they probably got some business out of it because probably some of those members called them afterwards and said, well, yeah, I stopped by the social media lab. That was helpful. I some more questions and it led into to a business, into a contract. So I think there are ways to do that. Um, I think the other way to to position companies uh you know such as yours is is for a year-long corporate partnership. Or there are there a number of things that an association could do with you and for you and for their members during the year? Could there be a series of of um of podcasts or webinars or white papers or focus groups and the conference? So it all ties in because generally the the, the uh, sum is greater than, than the individual components if, if you actually tie them together into a strategy, which is why there's more value in in selling year-long packages and selling a lot of pieces during the year.
1: Yeah, I love the idea about the social media lab and I guess like that ties uh, back to the member needs. So if we have done our research and if you already know that like these are like the top 10 member needs, then we can probably go to our corporate partners at the venue and then we can tell them, hey, our members need these 10 things. Can you like uh, cook up a quick like little booth or uh, an exercise to help the members with this? Right. And then I think each each partner will be featured right? So there's enough enough supply for all of us.
0: Well, exactly. And I think that's the advantage. Um, again, my other reminder about scaling up or scaling down based on the size of your your association and your conference, an association I used to work with had 200 sponsorable components at its annual meeting. So we'd slap a logo on anything, water coolers, trash cans, anything that didn't move, we'd put a logo on it and then charge a a sponsorship fee, which was lead logo overload. And I don't think provided any value to the companies because nobody recognizes that many logos. Um, and when we transitioned to a program based on year long corporate partnerships, we eliminated the 200 sponsorships at the annual meeting. However, we went to those top 20 year long corporate partners and said, as part of your year long high price corporate partnership, you are entitled to one component at the conference. So we took the top things like the social media lab or the exclusive branding of the coffee shop in the convention center or the sponsorship of the shuttle buses, the the 20 top things, and included those in the fee um, for the year-long corporate partners. So from the the corporate partner standpoint, much more not exclusive to their brand, but 20 logos instead of 200 logos around the convention center. So they had more exclusivity. Some of them with like the social media lab position as thought leaders. And from the member standpoint, they were, um, they were not being asked to look at 200 logos or they were, they're were being focused on 20 logos. So it was, it was much higher, much higher quality conference. Um, but that also took collaboration among um you know, the membership department, knowing what members need, the of course the sponsorship person on staff working with the sponsors and the convention um, team working with the convention center to make all that happen. So it was, uh, again, the sponsorship programs are most successful when it when it's, when sponsorships are really what I call an overarching goal. It's an overarching goal for the association really in the same way that the annual conference is an, is an overarching goal. So in the associations where I've worked, everybody on staff has a role before and and often during I've I've seen, you know, generally you have 95, 98% of the association staff on site at the annual conference. So, they all work for, in fact, one association I used to work with, we were actually told, you work for the VP of conventions, no matter what your title is, you work for the, v- the association's VP of conventions, because she's in charge of the whole convention. And if you don't have anywhere else to be or anything else to do during the convention, you report to her, she will find something for you to do. So shouldn't, to some extent, sponsorships uh, be the same way that if the person in charge of sponsorships needs help from the membership department or the social media department or the education department, that it can be a team effort on behalf of the sponsors?
1: Yeah, so that, that reminds me of a like a quick story that we had recently. So we, we do a member journey audit workshop with our clients. So we did an like, audit like with one of our clients and then what happened is uh, as part of the audit uh, workshop, they interviewed some of their partners, interviewed some of their members, right? And then like after like when we are reviewing everything to create their action plan, it was very clear that their corporate partners were eager, they were dying to present to the audience, you know, like to their audience and the audience was dying to hear from the partners, right? But they never made that the connection, they never made the connection. So what they were doing, they actually like um, held I think like quarterly events, like smaller quarterly events, like here in the Ottawa area in Canada. So, and, and, and then like what uh, the client was saying is that like, yeah, they come at the event, but after that they disappear, like, I don't know like what happens for the rest of the year. So then we realized, you know what, like you need to build an online community, you know, like where like after the event, so, so the event is a high, right? You get excited at the event, you get hyped up, you go meet people, right? And then like, once you have like that high, you want to keep that high in the like for the rest of the year as well so we told them build an online community using our platform and then like uh also like have like uh maybe ongoing webinars or something and invite your corporate partners to get kind of like um speak at that events you know and then that way what what they can do is that like if there's a webinar topic posted like from a partner and then like the the membership the audience they will self-select that i want this they will self-select, you know, without doing any additional work. And then there you have your segmentation, right? So, so we created the whole action plan. We are like going to like execute that like, like uh, during the summer. So yeah, so this reminds me that like, like the first step is to do that analysis, talk to your members, like talk to your sponsors and try and make what connections are possible. hmm
0: well, and this could be also, you know, during that big annual discussion, which, again, I think should be based on um, each company's budget year, not the association's fiscal year, because I, I was talking to a company a number of years ago, and and um, we were talking about adding value for really all of their sponsorship programs. But I said, if, if the association that uh, that we're talking about actually, you know, made some of these improvements to their sponsorship program, would, would you increase your sponsorship spend, And the the VP of marketing for the company said, well, I'd like to, we really support the organization, but I can't spend any more than that. And I said, well, is it because of budget limitations? And she said, oh no, that's not it. It's because they come to us four times a year asking for different things. They have two conferences and then they come to us about a white paper. They want us to sponsor and then a webinar She said, I never know what's coming next. So for the last five years, I penciled them in for the same amount each year. If they actually came to me, she said she had two requests come to us once a year. It doesn't mean you have to have everything buttoned up for the coming year. But if you say sometime during the year, we'll work on a webinar together. We'll, we'll based on how issues change, we'll, we'll come up with the details. But she said, if they will come to me once a year, and they come to me when I am working on my budget, because I cannot give them any more money if they come to me two months after the budget's finalized. So that in itself can, can make a difference. But um, so to your point about, yeah, I, I think this is kind of an ongoing process, and it reminds me of when I was working at an association, I guess 10, 12 years ago, when, when uh, the healthcare reform passed, which I think was a 13 or 1600 page regulation, and we were sitting around the table at a senior staff meeting, and our members were, were, were impacted by healthcare reform to a great extent, and members were calling, state affiliates were calling the association saying, what do we need to do? What are the deadlines? What are the implications? And and folks on staff were kind of looking around the table at each other like, I don't know, it's it's you know thirteen hundred pages, I don't know. So one of our corporate partners was a consulting firm that had expertise in things like healthcare management, and so I called them and they said, yeah, our staff we've they worked all weekend, but but they read through the whole thing and and they have a pretty good handle on the deadlines and the commitments and what your members need to do. And I said, well, what if you? Uh, You're one of our top corporate partners. What if you put together a webinar? Again, getting the corporate partner to do the work. I said, you guys put together the webinar. We'll look over the slides and just make sure, you know, it's not salesy, that it's useful information, that it's all understandable. Um, So we went through that process. They did the webinar, the presentation PowerPoint. We looked over it. I gave it to our design folks, and we co-branded every slide with the corporate partner logo, with our association's logo, and then we launched it as a webinar featuring the CEO of the association and the CEO of the corporate partner company. So, again, first of all, member focused, we identified an immediate member need for interpretation of a complex federal regulation. Company was positioned not exclusively, but they were the only one given this opportunity to work on a webinar um, and position them as a thought leader and gave them that, that branding edge. Um, And the webinar continued to roll out in recordings and other sorts of things after that. Um, So I'm sure that led to business development opportunities for the company. But that's the sort of thing that, which I think is also why it's important that the person on staff who's the lead on corporate sponsorships also has that seat at the senior staff table or has that, that ear of the CEO. So when these opportunities come up, folks could begin to say, wow, is there an aspect of this, an impact for our corporate partners, either good, bad or indifferent? that we should give our corporate partners a heads up on this this idea or this opportunity
1: right right so bro so um, we build online communities like online uh, membership sites for association in general now um and like um we always like invite like corporate partners and association members like everyone to kind of engage like on the online community like throughout the year right and then you mentioned like that that like engagement throughout the year is very important. So do you have any ideas on like how like, associations can better engage throughout the year on the online community?
0: Well, I think it's definitely great that you're uh, advising that associations include their corporate partners because it doesn't always happen. Corporate partners, again, have this wealth of information. They do need to be coached that it's about educating, not selling and um, that if they provide good information and you know they can have a link or whatever to more information on their website. Um, I think another way to do it, when I was with an association, even if corporate partners had access to the online communities, they weren't always paying attention to them or watching them, that if I saw a question on one of the member online communities where I thought a corporate partner had a white paper or was quoted in an article on that topic that would be useful, I would respond as a staff member, and and sometimes just to make sure it didn't come across as exclusive or selling or whatever, I would say, well, here's an article from the Association's magazine, and here's a white paper from the company. I think these two resources would be useful and would answer your question. So it was a way that both giving the corporate partners the opportunity to participate, but also as a service, as a staff person, I was watching out for them, and if there were topics that were relevant Um, where I knew they had expertise, I would push some information out there on the online communities. Um, And, you know, I think we sometimes in the online community should be about information, not about sales. But I think as part of this process, it's useful to realize that members often do want to know about the product and service. And, And I was coordinating a webinar a while back for a corporate partner Uh, with our members and I I coached the corporate partner ahead of time and I said, you know, don't sell, don't mention your product, don't mention contracts, don't mention anything. And every time there was a break for Q&A, members would say, "Uh, what are the contract terms? Uh, How many employees do I need to sign up for that? Uh, How how many years are the contract members wanted to know that stuff. And I think we, we many of us have had the experience in staffing education sessions at the conference where, you know, for good reasons, because of education credits and all that, the companies aren't allowed to sell when they present at a conference. But as soon as the session is over, members come up and ask for the sales brochure or the product brochure from the corporate faculty. So, um, it is useful in the right environment when it doesn't conflict with education credits or whatever. Sometimes members do want to know about the product and service and how they can get more.
1: Yeah, because like um, if you can get the information from a reliable, like trustworthy like, community within the association's online community, then you know it's more trusted as opposed to just like doing a Google search or on a Facebook group, right? So that's why like uh, that information, the information coming from the online community, I think people trust it more in general. Yeah,
0: no, I think and one other... You know, the thing that comes to mind. We're talking about engaging members and um, and and corporate partners. Is um, and this you know, and especially in midsize or larger associations, where all staff might not be familiar with the corporate partner program or what the corporate partners do. I think it's useful to provide information not only to other staff but also to board members as well as to all members in an annual report. What do corporate partners do to help members, and not just a list of their logos or thanks for being a gold partner, but to say, you know, back to that example around healthcare reform, this company is a year-long corporate partner, and they provided a webinar um, on interpreting a complex federal federal regulation, healthcare reform, that was attended by 800 members, and this company, you know, did the social media lab, and 300 people stopped by the social media lab and learned how to do LinkedIn but to really give it some context and make that connection between member engagement and the corporate partners and to remind staff of that and to remind board of that um, and to remind the full membership in an annual report or other communication.
1: So we have a question from Rebecca Burns. So Rebecca is asking, is there a general rule on maximum value of sponsorship for a not-for-profit? Like how much of our, like if we have a a lot of sponsors, like how much of the conference cost, like, you know, like should we should come from um, sponsorships and then also like in general, like for not for profit, how much should we raise?
0: Uh, I don't think there's really any limit on how much you can raise. Um, and again, not not a lawyer or an accountant, you want to be careful of um, unrelated business income tax. Um, but that's more if the company is selling, that's more if in and in, in not as a lawyer, but in layperson's terms, if you're actually if there's an inducement to purchase. So if if. If part of your range with a company is that, that you'll be handing out brochures at the conference that say, you know, go to their booth and get a 10% discount, that can, can appear to be a business relationship and be subject to UVA tax. Um, but no, I, I, as much money as, as um, associations can bring in, but I, I think there are, in a way, self-imposed limits because many companies are becoming less and less interested in sponsoring conferences. They're really interested in the year long. So many of them do have more money to spend, and I've had experiences with, um, in fact, it was an association I was working with that we were ready to launch their new sponsorship program in February of 2020, just as the pandemic started, and we weren't sure if that was dead in the water. But again, talking about matching member needs with, um, with a corporate partner, that was an association of nurses, first couple months of the pandemic, nurses obviously on the front lines. And one of their conference exhibitors, conference sponsors, um, had experience, had product, but also experience in respiratory issues for hospital patients. So, again, remembering COVID, respiratory, ventilators, and all of that. So, we sat down with the company, or Zoom call because it was into the pandemic and the lockdown, and we talked about what sort of information that the company had that would be helpful to nurses in providing better quality care, and make the lives better, not only of the the patients, but of the nurses with better information on respiratory care. And we came up with an agreement for pushing out content year long, including at the convention. And we moved that sponsorship from a $5,000 conference sponsorship to a $50,000 year long partnership. So one of the reasons the company was able to justify that is, I mean, companies are measuring ROI and, and cost of customer acquisition. So it's it's not, I've never received a sponsorship check that's from a philanthropy account. It's almost always from a marketing account, which back, gets back to the question of competition. Where else can the marketing executives spend their money to achieve the, the growth that they wanted? So what was interesting about that nurses association, the nurses are not purchasers of anything in a the hospital. They can influence purchasing sometime. So the company was not even uh, reaching direct purchasers who they could call and say, "Oh, you know, you downloaded our information on respiratory for COVID patients. You know, you want to talk about purchasing respirators for your hospital." The the nurses had no no purchasing authority, but the company still saw it a, a value um, for branding, positioning, et cetera, to get their name out there as doing the right thing. And from the association standpoint, it was a difference of. Uh, $5,000 and 50000 And I think that partnership is now in its third year. So just doing the math, 5,000 times 3 or, or 50,000 times 3. Um, so I think back to the question, there is huge opportunity to increase revenue. I think uh, useful to talk to companies about year long and not just the
1: conference. Right. So I'll take the next question here from Virpi Kanga. So I think we already answered this, but the, the question is so important. So Virpi is asking, How to ensure Uh, your sponsorship sponsorship levels or offerings are revenue positive?
0: Well, definitely sponsorship should be revenue positive. Um, It is finding that balance of what the cost is with what the ROI is for the company. So in some cases, we've underpriced. We've gone to the the convention hotel and they said they can do the coffee break for $2,000. So we've said to the company, oh, well, we'll sell the sponsorship for $2,000. Well... So that's that's revenue neutral at, at best. And that if you add in the start, the staff time to put that together, it, it's costing the association money. Could you go to the association and, and maybe even sweeten the deal a little bit in that case? So to go to the the company and, and say to the company, would you at your expense like to provide cocktail napkins for the coffee break at your expense with your company logo on them? Send us those napkins. We'll arrange with the conference hotel to put those napkins on the table. Oh, and that coffee break sponsorship will be $5,000. So, but again, needs to be that balance of, uh, which is really the, the for any product or service using one of my restaurant examples, I could say, well, it, it costs me $25 to put a steak dinner on the table. Will the customer pay more than that um, or not? If they won't pay more than that, then they won't. But I think it can go into companies and um, you know asking about, about their, and we can ask companies in those exploratory discussions, what is your ROI? How many contracts do you need a year? How many customers do you need a year uh, to make this worth your while? And then see if there's a balance there of charging them enough to to hopefully more than cover your costs. But a a good sponsorship program, uh, one I used to run for an association for a while, I was the only full-time staff working on it and it was bringing in $1.8 million a year. So again, a reminder, scale up, scale down. Um, But whatever my salary benefits overhead were, and even with some of the support from others on staff, there was um, probably in excess of a million dollars of discretionary revenue there that was used to pay for programs like public policy that brought in on their own zero revenue. So again talk about a member service because what was interesting in that association like many public policy was the top member concern in every member survey that was ever done. But then every time we looked at the public policy department it was like you guys don't bring in any money but you're the largest staff department and you're the most important to members. So um but when I looked at the sponsorship program, I thought, great, you know, as I bring in more sponsorship revenue, that is discretionary revenue. We need to, of course needed to fulfill the sponsor benefits, but that excess revenue was used to hire lobbyists to help members.
1: Right. So I'll take the last question from Anna Longinova and Anna is asking, uh, is there a difference between affinity partners, like discount to members versus sponsors?
0: So affinity programs are different sorts of programs. Uh, also, again, not speaking as a lawyer or an accountant, but often more subject to UBIT because you're actually encouraging members to buy a product or service from a company. Um, and it, it's much more transactional. It's basically you know, promoting a company's product or service, members buy product or service, um, and then the association gets a certain percentage um, of the revenue from the company. I, it does kind of go back to the question of making sure that, that we're making money and not spending money, because in some cases, excuse me, I've talked to associations that have a lot of companies where they spend a lot of time working on these affinity agreements. Many of them are not bringing in much revenue or sales, and the association is spending a lot of time doing marketing. So is that the role of the membership or the marketing department to be sending out a lot of emails? and and producing ads and all that for affinity partners is that in the member's best interest, is that the best use of time? And um, so maybe working on some products or services, but um, would it be better to transition some of those companies into, into a corporate partner relationship? Now, some of those companies are like, well, we don't want to spend any money on a corporate partnership up front. We'll just give you guys a cut of the the money afterwards, but that's part of the negotiation. But um, if all of those programs are not bringing in money, then I'm not sure the association should be, engage in those affinity relationships.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Bruce, we're running out of time, but like I have so many questions from the audience which you couldn't cover. So like for the audience, if you're listening to it like after or if you're here live and we couldn't take your question, I'm so sorry, you know, but like, please do connect with us on LinkedIn, like with me or with Bruce on LinkedIn or reach out to us after, like I I think you have our email and then that way we can answer some of your question, like book some time with me or or with Bruce, you know, like whoever you think is a good fit for the question. So Bruce, uh, what would be your key Takeaway for the audience today?
0: I think to, to really look at corporate sponsorships as an overarching goal for the association members first, uh, then the needs of sponsors, and to align those needs so that it's a win 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 for the association's members, the association, as well as the companies.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Bruce, how can people reach out to you if they have more questions?
0: Um, I am on LinkedIn, Bruce Rosenthal, and um, I'm also part of a group called the Partnership Professionals Network, and that's partnershipprofessionals.network. And we have a website with some articles and how-to tips on sponsorship programs. So I can be reached either way, either through LinkedIn or partnershipprofessionals.network.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, Bruce, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Okay. So that was the episode with Bruce Rosenthal. Oh, my God. What a conversation. I really loved it. And there are so many amazing ideas to take away from here. And particularly the one that I uh, heard today was that the association can often reach out to the corporate partners network to expand their reach. It's not just like the partner reaching out to the association's network. The other way around works as well. So it's a mutual win-win if you do that. And then also like one thing that we find all the time is that um, if we um, stay engaged throughout the whole year through the online community. Like if you don't have an online community for your membership, you should absolutely, absolutely have an online community for your membership. So build the online community and then bring the members, partners and everyone together, like build the community where your partners can actually provide value to, uh, the members. And then one problem we often like see is that like associations, they will create the online community and they will kind of like, um, hold it tight and like restrict things like Bruce said, you know, they, they will not let the partners in. So when the community is built, sometimes you have to step back a little and the community do its work and sometimes go back in and encourage more engagement, encourage more things. So I think like if we do that, then actually there will be an amazing engagement between like sponsors and then like partners and members like all alike. So thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. And we wish you all the best on your membership journey. We will see you on the next episode. Bye for now.